Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, July the 26th, 2021. This is episode 2921 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, it's going to be a short week for me. I'm, I'm cramming and jamming this week to get done because Thursday I'm going to go out and chase fish with uh, my guide buddy Omar and... Uh, my good buddy Nick Ferguson of the Expert Council. So Thursday's show's already done and in the can, man. Uh, so I've got that done. There's still a number of things i got to get done this week. So one thing I won't be doing today is what I've been doing a lot lately, which is uh, streaming the body of the podcast, the, the main component of the podcast. I've been doing that a lot lately. Won't be doing that today. Uh, that will, That's not going away or anything. It's just one extra thing to do this week that I don't have time for. I did stream Miyagi Mornings, though, and I will keep doing that. I don't know that there's going to be four this week, though. I think there'll just be three uh, as everybody needs time off. And, boy, I need a reboot right now. And there ain't nothing like a striped bass on the end of your line pulling drag or watching your grandson 10 years old with a fish that weighs a third of what he does doing the same thing. That, that's going to be a good day. Uh, hopefully we will uh, we'll do what we usually do with Omar. We don't go fishing, we go catching. I'll just throw a little uh, shout-out for Omar Cotter of Luck O, the Irish Guide Service in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He primarily uh, does trips on Lake Tawakany, which is out in East Texas. It's just a huge lake. Some really big fish on it. Some amazing experiences out there. And for those closer to the Metroplex, he also does grapevine, which I, I like to do to walk any this time of year. But a lot of the year, I just do grapevine with him uh, for white bass. And uh, it's just a much more convenient location. And I've never had a bad day. We, we like, say often when we go out with the Irishman, we don't go fishing, we go catching. <clears throat> that can't always be true, but it has been up till now. And if you're looking to take a trip in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, look him up and let him know that uh, Jack sent you. Anyway, with that, what are we going to talk about today? I have a great quote for you today uh, about sand in the hourglass, but it has nothing to do with the days of our lives, but yet it does. But it's not about that days of our lives. It's about the real days of our lives. Dealing with a really bad cancer diagnosis, and I mean bad, and, and trying to answer a question I really can't because I don't think we can ever answer this question until we face it. What would you do? Um I made a Spirigo Damas prediction a little over a month ago. It's already come true. I said 12 months, 24 maximum. But 12 months, like, and it's a month and a half, and it's here. And uh, Tim Poole from TimCast is talking about it. Somebody sent me a little seven-minute segment of him talking about something called the Freedom Phone. I'm gonna, uh, Tim's never reached out to me about being on the show or having me on his, but he's going to be on today whether he knows it or not because I'm going to play that audio for you. I really liked him, Pool, and I really like what he had to say about this. Uh, and we got a Fenord. Uh, Jake Robinson sent in a Yahoo Finance article that explains the Bitcoin rally, and it really shows if you know anything about Bitcoin, they have no idea what they're talking about. None. None. Um, the, the view the media has of cryptocurrency is, is the view that would have been somewhat correct about 2014, 2015. They have no idea how much the space has matured at this point, and we'll talk a little bit about that and why I think that this is just the beginning of 
that kind of second surge, right, uh, in crypto prices, especially Bitcoin. A little bit about it anyway. Uh, ideas for keto-friendly backpacking ideas. I'll throw out a few ideas, but I'm going to crowdsource this one. I, and uh, A couple expert panel members were mentioned on this, but uh, I, I'm really interested in what you guys have to say. If I get enough feedback on this one, maybe we do a whole episode on it. I think it would be interesting. Um, thoughts on audiobooks. A uh, guy asked me my opinion of which kind of books make sense for audiobooks, which kind of books make the most sense for paper books. Uh, he left ebooks out, but I'm going to talk about that too. But I'm going to tell you a really cool audiobook you can listen to for free right now on YouTube and the author himself reads it and I know he knows about it so I know he doesn't have a problem with it. It's uh it's a pretty amazing book and uh if you listen to it you'll probably want to listen to more of his books and then you'll probably have to buy them because they're not on YouTube. I already checked so it's pretty smart to let some of your older work just hang out there in the open space. Um His name's Graham Hancock. Many of you know exactly who he is. And um, Fingerprints of the Gods. I don't know if it's the whole book, but it's over seven hours. So it seems like it's got to be most of it. It says part one. I don't, I'm not sure, but, man, it's a great, great story. Um, and I'll tell you how you can listen to it. Homeschooling is surging, just as I said it would. But the person who sent me this article didn't really pick up on the bigger story here. There's something going on that whenever you see it, you know something's going on. You know somebody's up to some shit, and I'll tell you what it is. Uh, the easy, cheap way to siphon gas. We had a siphoning gas question last week. Somebody asked me today, though, the, the, the best way to do it when you're not trying to get out of an old car with a blocking valve, when you have like a 15-gallon oh, barrel and you need to get fuel out of it into your car, and that you know dumping that ain't fun. Uh, dumping five-gallon cans ain't fun. There's a really cheap, easy solution here. I'll tell you about it and give you the resources so you can get to it. And then I'm going to wrap up today with why I don't give two shits about the Delta variant, uh, nor should you, and, and how fear porn is basically being rebooted. And that is really what's going on. I, I looked at the TV. I, I know, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. But every once in a while, I must. Given what I do, the world I operate in, If I'm doing a whole week where I'm talking about nothing but gardening and permaculture, I ain't got to turn the TV on. Well, I, I do have to talk about the things that are affecting people's lives, uh, like homeschool, like COVID, pandemic, etc. Then I have to occasionally look at it. And when I looked at it this week, it was exactly what I expected. And I just think, have people learned nothing? And the answer to that question is no, they haven't. The people who have learned the truth about this learned it a while ago. And if you ain't figured it out yet, I just don't think you are ever going to. So the fear porn pre, uh, reboot will probably work on a lot of people. And it will work on the people who have experienced the least amount of freedom because they are the most afraid. That's just how things work. It, I'll just, before I, I, I do our uh, sponsors of the day, I just want to ask you something. Have you ever noticed how even though you really can't see the, 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 the finer emotions in a human's face when they're wearing a mask, How many of these people wearing masks, you can see total fear in their eyes, especially when you look at people wearing masks where they don't have to? The people choosing to wear a mask while walking in a park while 99% of people are not? Have you ever locked eyes with those people and seen the fear in their eyes or seen still pictures of them and you can see pure, unadulterated fear? Do you know the, the, the type of animal that has fear easily inst instilled into them? The captive animal. The more domesticated a human being becomes, the easier it is to plant fear into their hearts. We'll talk about that as we wrap up today. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is J.M. Bullion. Hey, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency today. Absolutely. And I'm going to continue to talk, keep talking about cryptocurrency. 
You'll notice when cryptocurrency goes down, I don't stop talking about it. I talk about it more because I think basically I see, especially Bitcoin right now, I see Bitcoin right now as an insurance plan for your wealth. So when Bitcoin goes down, the cost of my insurance premium goes down. Um, I feel the same way about silver and gold, though. I have been recommending 5% to 10% of net wealth into silver and gold since I started TSP. That was in 2008. I have not changed that recommendation just because I've become bullish on, on crypto. I believe in actual diversity. And so if you're going to buy gold or silver, and I think what makes kind of the most sense for the average person is actually silver because it's just more flexible. By being able to invest in smaller dollar amounts and having smaller dollar amounts that can be sold off here and there without necessarily having to go on a radar, if you know what I mean, I think it's just more flexible. But either works. So where should you get your silver and gold? How about the company that does the following? Gives you a discount on orders, ships it for free, has a president that I can personally email if there ever is a problem, even though I had to do it in years, uh, and the company that supported the podcast you listen to now for like 10 years. That would be Jam Bullion. They're the only one that ticks all those boxes. Oh, they should have better pricing than like Lear Capital, Monix, and Atmix. Oh, also Jam Bullion. So that's where you should go, jambullion.com. MSB members, make sure you get your discount as long as you're ordering more than 300 bucks. I think they put an upper limit, too, on orders on the discount to like $1,000 a month or something like that. Uh, BulkAmmo.com is another great sponsor. It's the other precious metal, copper-jacketed lead. It's the first thing that dries up when you hear more about gun control. Faster than guns, faster than parts, faster than ammo or uh, than magazines. It is the ammo that dries up the quickest. Um, and it, right now, man, you need to be investing in ammo because not only is it hard to get ammo, it's hard to get primers. It's hard to get primers. You know, it's not that hard right now to get a hold of uh, the other components. Brass, a little hard. Uh, powder, a little hard, not really. Uh, projectiles, bullets, you know, not real hard. Man, primers are just like as rare as hen's teeth right now. So one way or another, stock up on your ammo or your ability to produce ammo. And if you want to buy bulk ammo, the place to go do it is at bulkammo.com. Also do a discount for members of the MSB. Also a very long-term sponsor. I think they're like nine years or something like that. Now, we almost every sponsor we have is, is, is somewhere close or over ten years. That says an awful lot. Some of them have been with us since almost the very beginning, since 2009. I think that says something about what we do and how much your sponsors appreciate you guys. Because you don't stick with a podcast for that long if you don't appreciate you know the kind of customer you're getting from it. So think about that when you're doing business. All right, so let's start off with this quote of the day today. Uh, this is by Jean Paul, and uh, Jean Paul was a German author that was around in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And one time Jean Paul said, The more sand that has escaped from the hourglass of our life, the clearer we should see through it. That's the, I, the reason I chose that today, you guys know why. It's another way of saying make the most of your dash. I talk about that a lot. So let's talk about it from from this standpoint, though. I think there is some wisdom that comes with age that you can only wish you would have acquired when you were younger and had used better. And the older we get and the more we have to look back on and the less we have to look forward to. And I don't mean quality, I mean quantity. There is a point in a human being's life where the law of averages says you have spent more of your time than you have remaining, period. And as we get older and we push more and more things out of our lives that really don't serve us, the clearer our vision into our past and into our present and into our future, all three of those things becomes. So then we have to make a decision for ourselves. 
Since we can more clearly see the mistakes of the past, do we lament them or do we rejoice that we've gotten as far as we have anyway and pledge to make the most of whatever amount of time we have left? I think the people that choose that second option are the ones that are in least fear right now. We lost a really good member of this community just a month ago about now, named Steve. Steve Larkin. Many of you met Steve if you've been here to workshops. He's been to almost every single one of them. He came to our fall workshop last year. He came to our spring workshop this year. Well, everybody's afraid of COVID. And I heard him say straight up to one person, I ain't afraid to die. I've been on uh, borrowed time for 20 years. 20 years. The man's had two kidney or had two kidney transplants. Last fall when he came here, he had had heart surgery had to go back in the hospital two weeks later, and two weeks after that, he was here hanging out with 80 people, not afraid of the COVIDs. He was not afraid to live his life, whatever was left of it, because when he looked through that more clear hourglass, he was pleased with who he was, where he had come to, and he knew damn well where he was going. And I can just sit now and think, you know, he didn't die of COVID. He had a stroke. He's a guy that had had multiple issues his whole life. Again, somebody who's been through two kidney transplants is is somebody that has some real health. He was a tough man, but he had some real issues. But I just wonder. I just wonder how wasteful would have his last year and a half been if he had stayed home and hid because something bad might happen. And that that's really – I picked that so that I could transition into – uh, my first question today, because I don't have a good answer for this. At least I don't have a complete answer. Uh, Lauren asked me, what path would you take if you were diagnosed with cancer? And immediately when I hear that question, I think about a lot of different options people have when they have cancer that often can be beneficial, that can be helpful, and that you can beat cancer a lot of times. Even cancers that tend to not be... Um, that mainstream doesn't have a good chance of beating. But then you hear a word here. There, there's there's two cancers that, to me, are, in general, you're not going to make it, and they're liver and pancreatic. And, and he said his brother just got diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer after six years of doctors helping him with his pancreatitis. He's been given three to six months to live. I have almost no trust in doctors in dealing with cancer. If you want to pass this off to an expert counsel, uh, I'm looking for possible help from my big brother. First of all, Lauren, dude, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I hate hearing that somebody has to lose someone in their life to, to this. This is this not only has a very high, almost infinite mortality rate, almost no one beats this. When you're given a three to six month prognosis, sometimes that ends up being one or two. That's what happened with my mother-in-law. Um, she had both liver and pancreatic cancer, though. Uh, this is what eventually took out Steve Jobs, who had all the money and all the doctors in the world and took the most heroic methods that were possible uh, and probably knew a lot earlier in the stage of the illness than your brother did, and it didn't work for him. And I guess... <sighs> You have to know things I don't know, like what is the recommended treatment schedule for your brother from his doctors? What are they telling him? But I will tell you this. When this happened to my mother-in-law, the entire family and her got sold on the idea of using chemotherapy even though this was a terminal illness. 
And the promise was that it actually could improve the quality of life that she had left. It was a lie. I won't get into it. I don't want to dredge those things up today. But it was just a lie. And after one treatment, everything was worse and it never got any better. And, and we immediately ceased it. It would have been better had that had never have happened. And so I'm not saying not to try any treatments, especially since it's not my life. I am saying if, if you've gotten to a place or he's gotten to a place where he's really accepted that this, this is the end, that in, I think in many instances that we need to be focused on treatments that make someone as comfortable as possible, and they can try anything from an alternative standpoint. There's nothing to lose. And, you know, I would say, you know, maybe talk to people like Cancer Treatment Centers of America and stuff. There's some real advancement that's been made, and I will pass this on to the doctors, but um, I wanted to at least speak to it today, Lauren, because I'm, I've already done Thursday's show, so the expert counsel show is done for the week. And so the, the earliest this could come back is two weeks, and this is clearly time-sensitive. What can you do, though? Be his brother? Be there for him. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to think you're going to find some amazing treatment that's going to fix this. I mean, you can research, and if you find something, fine. But I, this is about as bad as it gets. It does get worse, but this is almost as bad as it gets. And there are some things that have been done with, with uh, various anti-cancer mushrooms. And that has worked for some people. And so maybe looking in like what somebody like Paul Stamets has available for stuff like this would be worth doing. But it's, it's probably, I mean, the thing is, is not to, to put hope ahead of reality. And if you want to, you know, if he wants, that's the other thing. Like, I think one of the things we have to do when we're in this situation, we have to stop worrying about what we want as it relates to the person who's actually got the real problem. The person with the cancer has the real problem, not us. And we need to separate ourselves from that problem as best we can. We can deal with that problem all we want, but when we're talking to that person about what they should do or what they need to do or what they can try, we need to separate ourselves at that point. That's where we need to be stronger for them. Because at that point, we know that unless something crazy happens, we've got way more time left in our decision-making process than they do. And that that's really all I have right now. If anybody out there has any new things that are available in this world uh, of, of cancer. I, I would love to hear from it. And I really think we're sadly living in a time where we're seeing some of the last people die of these cancers we consider untreatable. And they're just not quite there yet. I really think, like, as much as I think the vaccine is a mistake, that these, these, these Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, these mRNA vaccines... I think the technology itself is going to be the greatest advancement in cancer treatment ever, but I just don't think it's 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 ready yet. Um, sorry, I don't have a better answer, but I just didn't want to leave it hang for two weeks. And anybody that has anything that they can add to that, please uh, please comment on today's episode. I'll make sure that uh, Lauren is, is made aware if any comments come in. Uh, next up, uh, I made a prediction not long ago, about a month ago, and I said maximum 24 months, probably within 12 Probably sooner, um, and that was in episode. We're at twenty nine, twenty one today, and uh, the episode that uh, where I said this was going to happen, just to tell you how kind of quickly it came to be, was uh, twenty eight ninety seven, and it was back on uh, June fourteenth, 
2021. So, uh, pretty quick uh, arrival here at this location. But basically, what I said is that we would have a real option when it comes to being able to interact online mobily. That we'd have a new mobile device that would that would give us complete freedom, not just keep us from being tracked when we make a phone call. But it would also do things like provide us the ability to use apps that cannot be censored, etc. Well, we now have, and you can buy it, 500 bucks, the Freedom Phone. Instead of telling you about it, uh, because somebody sent me this uh, little uh, seven-minute piece here by Tim uh, Tim Pool uh, from Timcast, I'm going to go ahead and play this for you. Here you go. Have you guys heard about the Freedom Phone? I have. I yeah. tweeted it out a couple days ago. All right. So Freedom Phone comes from this guy. He was actually, he was actually hanging out here once when we had uh, Alan Bakari on. Yeah. And uh, he was showing us the device and everything. And I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. And it's a, a phone that uh, it, it, he says will keep your privacy. You won't be tracked. It's an uncensorable uh, app store. So the apps are going to be allowed to be in it. And uh, it comes preloaded with a bunch of you know free speech websites and things like that. Let me just say. I have not done a technical review of the product, but boy, is this guy over target. Seriously. The amount of smear pieces that have come out about the Freedom Phone that are laughably bad and nonsensical and make no points is insane. I haven't seen any of them. Okay, so first, first, the uh, the Daily Beast put out quite possibly the stupidest smear piece I've ever seen where they were like, it turns out that Freedom Phone, aha, its base hardware is actually a Chinese company's phone. And then I see people on Twitter be like, whoa, really? And I'm like, I don't understand what that means. So what? Did you think the guy built the phone from scratch in a factory in Scranton or something? Of course he outsourced a base phone. What do people think this is? But that's the narrative they're trying to weave. It's a bad phone. You can't have it because it was made in China. I'm like, yeah, along with like every other phone, I guess. So you you probably still want to do some kind of forensic analysis on it to see if there's data leak or whatever to see if it's actually doing what he claims to. Check us out. The Daily News. Right-wing activists push $500 freedom phone made in China and seemingly available under a less patriotic name for $120. This is a lie. This headline is a lie for one simple reason. Let me explain to you what the headline actually says. Let's say I have a canvas that costs $5, and I paint a picture of Ian on it, and then I say $100, and they come out with a headline, the canvas that Tim is selling for $100 actually can be bought at Hobby Lobby for 5 Oh, my. Yeah, but I painted a picture on it. So this has got, a, it's got apps, it's got a proprietary operating system. Some people don't know how to load those things. So if you want those things, you pay for them. But wait, there's more. It gets even better. Oh, good. We have this story from Gizmodo. MAGA-branded Freedom Phone is a black box that should be avoided at all costs. Nobody can blame GOP voters for wanting a phone that prioritizes privacy and autonomy, but the Freedom Phone can't be trusted. Why? They don't actually give a good reason why it can't be trusted. They They just say, it's a Chinese phone. Okay, so do a a, a hard wipe on it or don't trust him. Why would I trust Apple or Google over some random (gasps) guy? Sorry, I trust random guy over these major companies. But wait, there's more. CNET. Uncensorable Freedom Phone raises a host of security questions. No, it doesn't. They're freaking out over this. Good. Freedom Phone, and again, I have not vetted the device. I have not done any technical review on it. I look forward to. So I hear about this phone, and I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting. I should, I should hit one of my buddies, and we should, we should gut it, and we should like really go through it and see what he's got going on. In the, but to see all of these people. So what happened was I saw Robbie Suave, a libertarian guy from Reason, tweeted uh, in response, I think, to Candace Owens or something, that it was a grift, that they're grifting selling this phone. 
And I'm like, why, why, why is it a grift? I don't understand. Jack Murphy responded with, is there a reasonable critique of this? Cause I've not, you know, that you've written about. Ian Miles Chong then responds that it's just a Chinese phone. You know, Daily Beast wrote about it. My response is like, oh, the great tech- technologists and intrepid reporters of the Daily Beast and their expertise <laughs> on the far, 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 far right. Uh-huh. They know exactly how a phone works. There are people who are just freaking out over the idea that you could have an, 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 a phone pre-built to keep you off their grid. Big tech must be sweating. All of a sudden, all these articles, like, bro, I Googled this story earlier today, and I saw a bunch of articles. I just Googled it now to pull this up. Way more articles. And they're saying things like, the phone, one person tweeted, a hacker, the phone, the the, the data set, the the chipset could be hacked if they have physical access to the device. And I'm like, that's good. You want access to your own device. No, 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 no. They're saying someone else can hack your phone if they have physical access. And I'm like... That's true for my refrigerator, dude. <laughs> right. It's true for my car. If someone gets physical access to my device, yeah, they can do a lot of things with it. Yeah. It is insane how how much they're freaking out over this. Um, I he was saying that they scoured the United States to try and build it here, and the they found out that the United States is not capable of producing phones. I will say one of the funniest things was though, Eric Finman, who made this, tweeted out the video like here's the thing. Then he tweeted what you said. We scoured the U.S. to find a factory that could build these phones. The the unfortunate reality is that there's nothing, there's no factories that could build at scale. And it says Twitter for iPhone underneath it. That's awesome. He tweeted it out. He's using the iPhone. You know, you got to do research. That's I use YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. (laughs) I built mines, but I, well, I didn't build it. I was there. Come on. He should be using his own phone. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I wonder if it doesn't. I wonder if wait that was on Twitter he put that out. I wonder he if he tweeted it, with an iPhone. If he doesn't use Twitter from the Freedom phone. I wonder how that I can't wait to talk to this guy. Yeah, I gotta I talk can't to wait. Yeah, that yeah, it, it should it, it should be interesting, but there's something to be said about what we're hearing from the federal government, Jen Psaki, censoring people, shutting them down, banning them from every platform. Then a dude comes out and he's like, This device has all these preloaded apps. It's super easy for you. You wanna know why this is so powerful and so important? Because it can be replicated. Very, very quickly and easily. And regular people who have no technical expertise are being provided with a service that very simply could, potentially, grant them privacy, security, eliminate the tracking, and stop the censorship. Not to mention, you know what Freedom Phone really needed to include? I don't know if they do. Mm. Mesh networking capabilities. Oh, That's right. So, again, I want to see one of these devices. And I used to do a ton of hacking. I made, I was, I was saying this earlier, I, I made a, uh, I once hacked an Android to be a pit boy from Fallout 3. Nice. It's not hard to do. It's cool. literally not hard. You get skins, you get a new OS, you put it on, you do it, and then you get you get the little Pip Boy thing, yeah. and uh, then you get the app where the, the light it puts the light into your skin to track your like pulse and everything, and then you actually have like the Fallout Three thing. Anyway, I'd love to to gut this thing, see what's going on, but what's what's powerful about it? I am not sponsored by this company. I do not have one of these phones. There is no promo code for me. I in no way am saying that it's a it, it's the best one ever. The idea that somebody could make privacy as a service. Or as as a product, as hardware, scares them. So I, I I played that audio from Tim for a couple reasons. One, I really like the guy. There's not many people in the alternative media space that I have a truly high degree of respect for their journalistic integrity. There's plenty of people I find interesting and amusing. There's tons of content creators that are doing things like how to make a garden or how to work on a car or something. I have tremendous respect. But when it comes to people playing journalists on their own. 
Most people do not have the integrity this guy has, and I just wanted to expose you guys to him. I've also heard from a lot of you said, why don't you get Tim? Why don't you get on Tim's show and y'all get together? And, hey, man, y'all reach out. I, you know, I've always found that when my audience reaches out, we have the greatest probability of people getting involved with our community far more than when I do so. So I'll leave that at that. But I also did it because I don't believe in redoing work somebody already did perfectly. He literally got nothing wrong. And, and I did look up the FUD. He's not over, uh, overselling the, the, the FUD. He's not. There's a ton of, like, these people are freaking out. And he's got it dead on, guys. The reason they're freaking out is because you can do all of this on your own. But it's the kind of thing the average person is going to start following the directions to do. And they're going to get to a point, and they're going to say, it's just not worth it. The other thing is, and this was the thing that impressed me the most when I checked out freedomphone.com. Website's available. You can buy the phone. Their own app store. Their own app store. This is, this is the difference maker. What good does it do to go out and, you know, jailbreak an iPhone or whatever, and then you have to find, like, apps that are, you know, in some other place, or you, like, to have, The same functionality. I want to download Floats app. Now they don't have one for this yet, but I bet you, I bet you when Kingsley and Aaron find out about this, they're gone. And I bet you Odyssey is too. And I bet you all of these alternative, as they're calling them, social media outlets are going to do this. And I think they've made it really easy to do. And being able to just go, yeah, I want that app, boom, and it downloads. Oh, oh, did somebody piss in your Wheaties mainstream media? Did somebody make you a little bit angry now? Did somebody say no to your gatekeeping? Did somebody say no to your censorship? Did somebody say, hey, you know what this problem you have? 500 bucks fixes it. And I'm a little, and it's, it's a pretty easy process. The phone comes, you pull the SIM card out of your old phone, you stick it into your new phone, and it works. And I'm a little bit conflicted here because I'm not worried about any of the FUD. I'm kind of thinking this way, though. Generally, the first generation of a thing is not the best of a thing. And generally, not long after a thing comes out, a better generation of a thing comes out. Now, if their process and their planning, and I haven't dug deep into this yet, but if it's mostly uh, software upgrades that are going to be coming out of this, okay, yeah, okay. Then, you know, if they're going to be coming out with newer, better devices, like... This only has 64 gig of onboard storage, but it has up to, you can throw an SD card in it and add another 256 or 264, whatever it is, uh, gig. That's a shitload. I think my, my phone has 264 gig onboard, and you can't, because it's an iPhone, you can't expand it. So I, I think this is exactly what I predicted, but I just think it's going to get better. My other side of it is, it's only 500 bucks. And I know there's some people like, man, 500 bucks. I look at this and go, maybe I need to do this simply because this is one of those things that I want to be successful. And I also think, and this is the other point Tim made beautifully, or the guy that was with him, I don't know the guy that's with like his 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 uh, his co-host or whatever his name, but he said you can replicate it. Other people can do it now too. Like once it's been done, man, I I'm kind of the guy that's big on you know competition. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think the next step is from the powers that be. This this phone is coming and being sourced out of China. 
Yeah, it's a phone that's basically the same phone that carriers are using. It's just they're buying it, you know, stripped down and they're doing their own OS on it and whatever. I would not be surprised if some of these carriers start going to, the, to, to their supplier and saying, hey, you want to sell us phones, you need not sell them phones. I still don't think it matters at this point. First of all, if you want to buy an electronic device, there's a person in China that will sell you one. They don't care. And if they have to make a second company to do it, they will. They'll make four. Uh, we don't know. We have no idea how they're getting them. It's not us, right? Like, sorry, Apple. I mean, that's, you know, sorry, AT&T, sorry, Sprint, sorry, T-Mobile. Like, that's going to be the story. But, man, it's about, it's about to get real up in here. Now, you marry this concept to privacy crypto and think about what you've done. Think about what you've done. People are walking around basically with an encrypted phone that cannot be tracked, that cannot be censored, that you can't get in between with. You and you empower it to use anybody's app that wants to make an app for it. And then you start using the apps built by the people who actually are building apps for the right reason. In other words, to give service to humanity. <laughs> This is the biggest can of ass whipping to come out on Big Tech because... What it does is it centralizes, and I don't mean that the way normal people think of that word. It gives a, a home, is what I mean when I say centralizes, for all of these technologies. Because see, there's people like me. This isn't that big a deal for me. 90% of the information that I consume or contribute online is done through a computer. So doing things like using you know anonymous browsing and stuff like that, using VPNs, that's real easy when you're on a computer. Most people, though, today consume and generate and create information and share information and communicate with a mobile device. Everybody younger than, than my generation does. That's where they, we live, on, we still live on keyboards and they still, they live on mobile devices, the younger crowd. And man, don't think that all these young people are stupid. I mean, young people in general are stupid. I was stupid when I was, I've said this before. The only reason that Gen X is not known as the dumbest generation that ever lived is we predate social media at, at the time we were really stupid. Because as dumb as the shit as I've seen some of these people doing in their early 20s right now and teen, late teens is, holy shit, we were dumber. We didn't sound as stupid when we talked about issues. We were, I think we were generally more informed about what the hell is going on, but the behavior that we, in, we, we engaged in was, God, was it beyond stupid. And, you know, We all come through that phase in our lives. What I mean when I say don't think they're all stupid is don't think they all buy into these ideologies that are being spat out at them. Every day, more and more people are waking up. And it's the it's not the older generation that's bought into the ideology that's waking up. It's the younger generation that it didn't quite work on yet. I know that's kind of scary to think about, but that's your hope. That's, that's who your real hope is. And I have a link to Tim's video uh, as well on that if you want to see it uh, on his channel. Um, this one is an interesting thing. Um, Jake Robinson sent this, and he sent me two different stories, but I'm just going to focus on the one. He said, I saw two different articles on why Bitcoin and altcoins surge. They're fnords. There, there are totally different reasons. Got me thinking the media knows F all about why the market makes big moves, but it doesn't stop them from forming a narrative that serves them. Who really knows why? I'm sure 
Uh, they get lucky every now and then, and they might get lucky every now and then. But the basic concept of this is there's some rumors about Amazon hiring some crypto people. And the media is talking about it, so that's why Bitcoin went up. And, you know, like I said, if this is 2015, 2016, maybe, the real thing that they're missing when it comes to Bitcoin is the state of the supply. I don't even care if they get the, the, uh, the, the news or the rumor right. They still don't understand the underlying things going on. We've literally reached a point in the available supply of Bitcoin that any pressure at all on buying immediately sends it skyrocketing upward. And every time somebody moves some shit into cold storage, long-term storage, etc., that only becomes more true. There is a very small amount. We talk, we talk we often talk about the enforced cap at 21 million units of Bitcoin. The amount of Bitcoin that's in play is infinitely smaller than that. There are dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are sitting there looking at a little wallet. It's got a Bitcoin in it or two or three or ten. And it doesn't matter. They're not going to sell. That's their long-term plan. A lot of those people, you know, they have 10 Bitcoins. They have a 1000 bucks into it. They don't give two shits if it goes down to $22,000 next week. They don't care. You go, it went up to $38,000 today. It's almost $39,000 last time I checked the price today. I'm not sure what it is right now, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know what the long-term outlook is. Uh, by the way, it's $39,589. It's uh, about to go back into $40,000 territory is what it looks like. I don't know, like, is it a good buy today? Is it about to go up? I don't know. I haven't looked. I don't do a lot of technical analysis on Bitcoin. When it drops down a lot, I buy more. When it goes up, I buy a little less at a time. That's pretty much it. It's, 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 I talk about the three buckets that we put our money and our investments in, and it's bucket number three that Bitcoin goes in. It really is. And what the buckets are, money you're going to spend in the next month. Your, your cash flow to cover budgetary items that are non-discretionary. And you know your, your, your monthly discretionary expenditures like going out to eat. That's bucket one. Bucket two is your mid-short-term savings. Stuff I, I'm not going to spend it this month, but maybe some shit will come up and I'll have to pull some of it out into my checking to cover it. And bucket number three is everything that's long-term. Everything that I'm not touching period, unless there's an absolute God-honest emergency. Like, I can't cover it any other way. And that's where the Bitcoin is for the average investor. And we're even getting to a point where, I, you know, they're, they're claiming it's short covering or whatever. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. They really don't. They have no idea what they're talking about. You should honestly not listen to anybody talk about cryptocurrency that's not involved with cryptocurrency. And even then, you got to be careful. But like, if the person is a financial analyst that doesn't hold Bitcoin, that hasn't gone through you know, a good at least 100 hours of research to the point where they're willing to put their money up, their opinion about Bitcoin should be the same as when somebody tells you the following. I just don't understand, fill in the blank, but here's the thing I know about it. That happens every day in the media, especially on the radio, like terrestrial radio hosts. They're the worst about this, especially with Bitcoin, but other things too. 
Because they're being regular people. They don't have a teleprompter generally, so you're actually hearing them admit their ignorance and then verify their ignorance. See, I don't understand fill-in-the-blank. is an admission of ignorance. But here's a thing I can tell you about blank that's definitively true, even though I said I just don't understand it at all. That's a confirmation of ignorance. That, that's a level of stupid, honestly, beyond ignorance, that is uh, it's interesting to watch. I, I've, I've always been amazed, and it happens in daily life, too. People you know say, oh, I don't understand at all, but let me tell you. No, don't tell me. You just told me you don't know anything about it. You just told me you don't understand this. That's the media. Never trust it. Next up, I'd like to do, this is from JP, and I'd like to do a little crowdsourcing on this one. So I'm only going to throw out a couple little ideas and, and, and not try to go as far as I can with it. Um, but JP says, for Dixie, Dr. Ken, and or you, and I will let it get, get it over to Dixie and Ken as well, I'm looking for some keto-friendly backpacking meal ideas. If they can be prepared in a canteen cup, that would be a bonus, JP. So here's your issue with this. Protein's easy. It just might be expensive. It's freeze-dried meat. It's freeze-dried beef. It's freeze-dried chicken. It's freeze-dried pork. It's freeze-dried shrimp. It, you know, it's, it's, it's freeze-dried meat. That's your, that's your go-to answer. And there's just no way that I know to do it cheap because even if you buy one of the home freeze dryers, you still got to buy the meat, which is not cheap, and then you still got to invest the energy and the time into making it. But that's, that's your easiest answer. Dried meat like jerky and biltong is also great. The problem is you don't have the fat. Now remember, when we say something like you should be getting like 70% of your calories from fat and around, you know, 30% from protein, and, and, and it's the tiny little fraction of a percent, you know, so we're just rounding off there from, from carbohydrates. You're in the neighborhood of 20 carbs or less a day. People get that all wrong. They picture a guy eating a giant piece of fat that 70 or 60% or 75% or whatever of the plate is a lump of fat. Fat is way more calorically dense than protein. So when you're eating a ribeye, and you're not trimming your fat off of it, you're in keto zone, man. I mean, unless it's a really lean cow, you're about as good as you can get. When it comes to making your own ground beef, I can tell you how to do it, but it doesn't work for keto. It involves mixing breadcrumbs into meat and frying it, browning it, and then dehydrating it. This works really well because if you dehydrate cooked ground beef, what you end up with is something that's try, It's kind of like trying to eat birdshot when you try to rehydrate it. It just doesn't. But if you mix breadcrumbs into it at about 20-25%, you can make a really great tasting dried ground beef, and that can be really cheap to do because it's just a basic, like an Excalibur or even a stupid cheap uh, dehydrator will do this for you. But your keto's out the window. Some things that I can think of that would work really well in this are canned fish especially fatty fish like salmon or fish that have been bulked up with a good amount of healthy fat like olive oil. So like the Matisse Gallego um, sardines I recommend or the Wild Planet mackerel I recommend or the Wild Planet anchovies. And those travel fairly well. And if you eat everything, including the, the oil, um, you have a pretty significant amount of fat uh, in them. And I think this has a lot to do with what kind of backpacking. A day hike? Easy. 
a day hike, you just take yourself, go cook yourself a freaking uh, ribeye and throw it in a Ziploc bag <laughs> once it cools down. And if you're going to heat it up in your canteen cup, heat it up in your canteen cup, you know, maybe throw a little bit of water on it or something like that and uh, simmer it just enough to bring the temperature up and you're good to go because it'll last a day or two. If you're talking Dixie hiking, like Jessica, and you're going to hike and you're going to be going a month at a time trying to carry gear, now you start carrying a lot of weight when you start carrying things that are canned or you're carrying things that are perishable, you, you really get short on time. Um, something that travels way better than people think it does, though, cooked bacon. So my favorite way to make bacon is to bake it in the oven. That's another uh, thing I can think of. And I'm going to stop there because my mind's starting to come up with some ideas. But I really think this would be a fun one to crowdsource. So if you have some good ideas about what to do here, email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC Keto Backpack in the subject line. And if I can get enough ideas, we'll either do a segment or maybe even a whole show on this. And what I want to do is get these ideas in Share it with Dr. Ken, share it with Jessica, and kind of really blow this idea up a little bit more, because I think it's a place that we need to look at, because it also answers a question about um, more sustainability in our preps as keto preppers. Now, I think for a lot of us, this is not that big of a deal, because you know if you have a couple deep freezers and a good generator and a good supply of gas, you're in pretty good shape. You know, and if you do a lot of uh, hunting and fishing and uh, managing and, and running livestock, you can harvest as you need. But there's still something we need to look into more. So I'd love to hear from you that, on that. Uh, Brian sent me an email. I've never had this question before in 13 years, you know. What Audible books do you recommend people get? What paper books do you recommend people get? Details. I have 12 Audible credits, and Audible has changed their policy to expire credits after 12 months. So I need to cash them in. For good books to listen to. I've noticed that audiobooks are better for stories, history, motivation, concepts, while paper books are better for detailed instruction, diagrams, pictures, and reference. I can whip through an audiobook in a few days driving, yard work, and chores. Paper book is much more difficult to get through for me. I've also noticed with audiobooks, some of the useful details get lost, since so it's not convenient to stop and take some notes at a later time. I always appreciate your show and helpful information you provide. Your style of teaching and explanation fits my uh, method of listening, Brian. Well, thank you, Brian, and, and thank you for spending some of your listening time with me. Um, I will agree with you. I like audible books that are storyline books, and you mentioned history. I love that, especially when the author is good at weaving story into history so that it reads more like a storyline of history rather than facts and figures about history. And the book that I'm listening to right now, that I was going to get it, and I was going to listen to all his books on Audible, uh, is Graham Hancock's uh, Fingerprints of the Gods. And I found a copy of it on YouTube. And like I said, I know he knows about it because I've seen he commented on it. And he wasn't upset about it, so I know he doesn't give two shits because hell, it gets his name out. Great. Um, so I have a link in the show notes where you can listen. And that is a fascinating book. And I love that it's the new version, and he starts out with saying, you know what? There's some things that I got wrong in this book, and I'm not going to rewrite this book. It stands for what it is, and it's got a lot right. And if you want to know the things that I've changed, I write new books for that and look and, and go and read or listen to Magicians of the Gods. So that kind of book works really well, and I think it has a lot to do with the narration. 
I'm a good podcaster. I must be, or I wouldn't still be in business after this long. I don't think I'm that great at reading, um, like reading a script or reading a book. I don't know how well I would do as a voiceover uh, personality. I, I, I like to just talk about, you know, and including my thoughts and things. I think that's what makes, you know, natural speech come across. You have to be a little bit of an actor uh, to read an audiobook for somebody. But Graham is excellent. First of all, he's British. And... <laughs> You know, come on. There's a reason so many luxury commercials for cars and other shit like that have a British personality talking. Lexus, you know, shit like that. Because it, it just sounds better. It's entertaining. I, and I, I don't know. If you're British, it probably doesn't. You'd probably rather listen to an American accent or an Australian one or who knows what. Um, but he has an excellent voice, an excellent speaking voice, an excellent conversational tone. And the stuff in that book is amazing. Um, I like... You know, I like Brad Thor's books. I generally read those, but if I see, I don't spend a lot of time in the car anymore. I don't spend a lot of time where I listen anymore. Generally, now um, when I'm reading something like Brad Thor's novels, it's like I'm sitting in bed. I read for 20 minutes before I go to sleep, and I read something totally disconnected from reality, so that my mind separates from the daily grind. And I, I personally like eBooks for that kind of reading. And what I like about ebooks, you mentioned like audiobooks, you're not going to stop and take notes. With ebooks, you can highlight and take notes and stuff like that right in the app. And I find that to be really great. For print books, I definitely prefer print books for manuals, things with diagrams, imagery, things that I need to look at and really understand because even blowing a picture up on a screen to me, and it's maybe because I'm older. Um, you know, reference books, I I can't see trying to read the Permaculture Designers Manual. Or uh, Retro Suburbia by David Holgram, who, who co-founded Permaculture with, with Bill Mullis. I can't see reading either one of those in electronic. And I damn sure can't see, even though uh, David's got a great voice, I can't see sitting and listening to that book being read. I just can't. I mean, maybe it would work. I just don't think so. So I'm kind of like reference books, anything that I might look something up in, to a large degree, recipe books, procedural books I want in print, storylines I like ebook. Uh, or Audible, and Audible, I like storylines or history. I, I kind of agree with that. Love to hear what y'all think about that. You can comment in today's uh, show notes if you want to. Um, Will just sent me a uh, really interesting thing, and I'm wondering if Will is in the military. Yep, he is. Yep, he's a master sergeant. I thought that's where I recognized the last name that I won't use here. Um, he said, first story I've seen about an increase in homeschooling. Key numbers are an 11% overall increase. Um, I think that's actually not as dramatic as it is. Um, it's 11% more. It's not 11% of the original. Let me read a little bit of it uh, for you here. The surge has been confirmed by the U.S. Census Bureau, which reported in uh, March that the rate of households homeschooling their children rose to 11%. So it's not an 11% increase. That's about double what it was. So it was five, now it's 11. So it's a 100% increase. It doubled. But that is more than one in 10. There's another thing going on here. And when I tell you the next piece after this piece, it'll start to make sense what's really going on. Listen to this little tidbit. Black households saw the largest jump. Their homeschooling rate rose from 3.3% to 16.1%. 
Now, of course, African Americans are a minority by the numbers in America. So that doesn't mean there's more black children in total quantity than white children being homeschooled. What it means is during this change, it is more likely that any individual black child will be homeschooled than a white child. And that is a huge change in the variance. It was 5.4 to 3.3, and it moved to 11 versus 16. That is a massive increase. And let me tell you what's going on here. So to make this make sense why this happens, and it just ends up being a good research tool as well, I generally do the show notes on one computer, and I have my email on another computer. I'm not going to get into why, but it's part of my privacy protocols. Okay. And so, since I can't just cut and paste the link in the email that you sent me, if, if you happen to send me an email with a link in it, I search for the exact match of the title on the other computer. So, in, in, in this case, the exact match on the title was um, sparked by a pandemic fallout, homeschooling surges across the U.S. Now, I could have known this really, really quickly. This is on WDRB.com, which is like a local affiliate uh, network station. I'm not sure who it's for. Um, if it's NBC, CBS, it doesn't even matter when I tell you. I'm going to tell you next. But when I read the author's name, and this is a brand new article published on the 25th, so just yesterday on Sunday, David uh, Crary, AP National Writer. That's the Associated Press. So these articles are often syndicated. When I put sparked by pandemic fallout, comma, homeschooling surges across the U.S., there were dozens of people running the verbatim article. This is not unusual in of itself. That's what AP and Reuters are. They're syndication services. They put out content. They're written by journalists who at least can string a sentence together. Uh, they match the agenda of the mainstream media in general. So it's very common. We need another story. Grab this one off the AP. Grab this one off Reuters. That's, that's common. These are big media outlets. Do it for yourself. Go look at it. Cut and paste it. Drop it in. Google, DuckDuckGo, PreSearch, whatever you use. And see how many people are running the article verbatim and who they are. Okay. When this happens this quickly on a thing like this, there is always an agenda. They have been told. This is like when, um, I don't know if it was Leno or John Stewart or whoever it was, would do um, the thing where they would show, you know, don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. They'd show all these, these newscasters saying the exact same thing, telling the exact same story on the exact same day all purporting to be local news that tells you the news that's important to you. It's like that. And when it hits this hard and this fast, there's a reason. And I'm going to tell you, and some of you have jumped already to the reason, but there's something else that's going on in the, in, the, in, in the school systems right now. It's the thing most people are talking about in the school systems. This is one of those things where they start dropping inferences to get an idea in people's heads because they're winding up for the, the, the sucker punch when they attack it. What is the big news in schools right now? You know what it is, right? CRT, critical race theory. Okay, who's the demographic that white liberals think they're protecting with critical race theory. Black people. 
They think they're protecting black people by telling them they're oppressed that they can never get ahead without the help of white liberals. That's the basic message. Now, critical race theory itself, I've talked about this before, does have some valid claims about what has created a socioeconomic divide between the demographic of black Americans and white Americans. And they are absolutely true, or I should say they were absolutely true, and it is not the case that even though they stopped happening, that you can say there's no impact today, because we're not talking about slavery here. We're talking about things like black Americans with decent jobs, with good incomes, not being able to get a mortgage in the neighborhoods that they lived in. And that going on for several decades... And the impact that that would have on those neighborhoods and then the people that grew up there. See, like, that's a valid claim. And that, I have no problem with that. But the overriding message is you're evil because you're white and you're a victim because you're black. And I'm going to say something here that I believe is absolutely the case, and I defy anybody to prove me wrong. I don't think there is a more, in general, racist demographic in the United States of America than white liberals. I believe they are the single most racist demographic, and you can tell because there's nothing else they want to talk about other than race. The average person doesn't give two shits about race anymore. They really don't. They, they're not interested in discussing about what divides us, and they are willing, if you have a solution to a problem, to discuss that solution. What they're not willing to do is listen to you tell them that the problem is their fault when they didn't do anything. When they grew up poor themselves, or they've had it hard themselves, or a lot of the people you're talking about are doing better than they are. And there is a belief in the mind of these people behind this thing that the black community is on board with it. They are not. They aren't. In general. There is, you know, there is freaking... Bad people in every demographic. We have shitty white people that will rob and steal and, and, and whatever. And if you create an event that makes it available for people to riot, and you do that in a place where primarily the people that live there are black, most of the people rioting are going to be black because that's most of the people that are there. So then they show that on TV while defending it, but the message to you is see what they really are like. Because white liberals are the most racist demographic in the United States of America. Period. And everything about, everything they do is about division based on the color of your skin. And they've gotten to the point now, it's not about black and white. It's about white and everybody else. That's why they've come up with the term people of color. That's why they have like 47 initials now for gays, lesbians, or whatever. Because they have to create this, this wall. It's, so it's not even just white people now. It's white people who are men and women who live as men and women are bad, even the ones that agree, and the only way you can partially repent your sins is to say that you're bad and have guilt for it. And then if you are doing that, you are a white liberal, I promise you. Because you are, if, if you are a white liberal in America today, and I mean liberal not as a classic liberal, I mean liberal in the way that term is banted around today, liberal progressive democrat, You are in the single most racist demographic there is. I'm not saying you are racist, because how would I know? I'm saying the odds are more likely that you are than you aren't, even if you don't know that you are. Because you think the black guy needs your help. And you can help him because you're white. That's literally racist. Let me tell you what. The average black person that has their shit together, 
that's building their own life, that cares about raising their kids, and most people do, so most black people do, thinks you're a moron and they don't want you touching their children. Their whole thing is falling apart because the, Democrat, the demographic they think they're serving is the one most expediently leaving their system that is the means by which they control people and program people. This is a disaster. They're more freaked out about this than they are about the Freedom Phone. This is a horrifying reality. They don't really believe us. They don't really support us. They're leaving Think about that number. 16% of black children in America today are homeschooled. 16%. That's getting awful close to 20, and 20 is the tipping point. 20 is the tipping point. You know, all that shit that I said was going to happen because of homeschooling, with like entire towns falling apart because all these people that make all this money won't be able to have jobs anymore because you can't, there's a point where you kind of start to fall apart. 20% is the number. So we're at 11. We've got to double it again. But black Americans are at 16. That's one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. And I'm going to tell you this. There is racism in this country. And again, it primarily comes from white liberal politicians more than white liberal people. And white, if you are a black person, you listen to my show, thank you. And I'm going to tell you this. If you have your kids in public schools, white Liberal politicians who are racist control what your children are taught. And that's why so many other black Americans have already said, not my kids. There's another thing going on here. It's not just that. It's also the COVID jab. Kids over 12 in most school districts, they're requiring this or your kid can't go to school. Black Americans do not trust the United States government and they shouldn't because the United States government is mostly run by white liberals who are the single most racist demographic in the United States of America today. Period. And I will defend that and I, will, I am happy to prove that by using their own words to define that which I call racist. Because I believe what racist means is to think that other people are inferior in any way solely due to the color of their skin. So when you say black people can't because of white people, you're saying white people are superior. Literally, the white supremacist of today is the white liberal. Your belief that they need you is what makes you a racist. And if I were any parent today, I would because I don't. Like, I don't have kids in school anymore. My son's grown. But my grandson is in the other room right now, probably hearing what I'm saying. And he is doing his schoolwork through the summer. He's taking one class instead of multiple classes. He's one grade ahead already. He's doing a great job because we got to shop for his school. And I won't let them touch him. And I won't let them touch my granddaughter either. I will not let them program my children. I will not let them program, in this case, my grandchildren. And you shouldn't either. And I will not trust them to inject a substance into their body that they do not need. A substance that, that has more risk to them than the thing it's supposed to prevent. That doesn't seem like it really works as good as they say. 
And if you want a demographic that doesn't trust the government when it comes to things like vaccine and medicine, it is black America. And they shouldn't trust our government because our government has been mostly run by liberal white people for the majority of the last 200 years. Even when supposedly Republicans are in charge. I'm, by the way, guys, I'm tired of the term rhino. You're just, they're not rhinos. They're just Republicans. They're all statists. They're all progressives. They're just less progressive than the people that call themselves progressives. I wouldn't trust them either, and you shouldn't trust them. I'm just saying. And I know that'll piss some people off, even people in this audience. I don't care. I, I came here to bring you the truth. Uh, Derek says, what is your preferred method for siphoning gas? I've been transferring five gallons of gas in my car from a Midwest plastic gas can, and frankly, it kind of sucks. I tried the pump from Harbor Freight, but that was worse than pouring it from the factory spout. Standing at my gas tank for 10 to 15 minutes is less than ideal. Jack recommends gas storage. I've implemented his system. But is there any way to streamline this process, or do I just need to quit being a baby about it? You do not need to quit being a baby about it. You need better living through technology. So all you need to do this is 5-16-inch fuel line for outboard motors and a priming bulb. And if you look at the priming bulb when you buy it, we'll have an end that's supposed to go on the motor and an end that's supposed to go on the tank. And the end that's supposed to go on the tank will pass through the bulb, and that bulb will pass through with an arrow that points that goes this way. And when you hook that up to an outboard motor, and it's hooked up to a gas tank in the motor before you start the motor, you pump it until there's resistance, and it pushes some fuel into the motor, and then the fuel pump takes over and pulls gas out of the tank from there. Most people are familiar with this. If you start something like a chainsaw or a weed eater off and they have a little miniature version, that little bulb, you, it's called a priming bulb, same principle. Okay? You get that, and you stick the end that would go in the gas tank of the boat into the gas, uh, into the, the gas can, and you put the other end of it into your vehicle, and you pump it a few times, and it will start a siphon. And then you just leave it there. And as long as you have at least, if you have a five-gallon can and your car's got at least room for five gallons to go into it, you don't even have to pay attention to it. You just walk away. It takes a while because it is a relatively small line. It's not a high-volume siphon, but it works perfectly, and it's cheap. I have links in the show notes today where you can buy pre-assembled ones designed to go on a boat. I did not look to see how long the hoses are. I've never bought one like that. I'll buy like a row of tubing and a couple primer bulbs, and you can make them yourself. It's really easy. You cut the, the, the hose to the length you want. And like so for my, my truck, when I need to put diesel fuel in, I set a diesel fuel can up on the toolbox. I stick it in, push the tube in the, in the, fuel, line, uh, the fuel line into the gas tank, and I pump, pump about four pumps and just walk away. Walk away. If you want to be really sophisticated, you take a little block of wood, and make sure that your, your fuel line is in one corner of the can and kind of prop the can up, even just a little piece of like 2 by 4 even a one by. We'll give enough tilt that there'll be almost no gas left in it when you come back. The little bit's there, you can either dump it in or just not worry about it. That's what I do. And this is a very powerful way to do this, because check it out. If you store fuel, because like you know the, uh, the blue barrels that are made like for storing grain or water in that are about 15 gallons, uh, it's the same plastic that gas cans are made out of. And if you get a bung wrench and you tighten that up, it ain't going to leak. And you're looking at about 120 pounds for one of those 15-gallon things to be full, and a grown man can usually get 115, 120 pounds into the back of a truck. So check it out. You could take four of those, put them in the back of your truck. You're not going to get stopped. Nobody knows that's gas in an unapproved container. 
And you could, and I'm not recommending you do this. I'm saying, like, it's good to know things that you can do if you have to. If you had to go long distance and you really didn't have time to sit there, you could drive down the road with one of those things running out of one of the barrels into your fuel tank. It'll work. I wouldn't recommend you do it, but it'll work. But who's going to explode? No, it's not. You ever notice they turn your vehicle off when you're getting gas? And we, we call it hot fueling in the military. And we had a grounding strap and all that. Why doesn't the car explode that's sitting next to you running while you're getting? I'm just saying, like, there is a risk there. It's, it's, it's far, it's like the risk that you're going to interfere with the, uh, the pilot's radio by using your cell phone on the plane. It, it, in theory, it could happen, but it doesn't. <laughs> It's probably more risky than that. I'm, again, I'm not recommending this, but you could do that if you had to. If there was some life and death emergency, I cannot wait, and I've got to get fuel in the vehicle, you could do that. Um, so, again, not recommending it, but pff, this is, uh, it's, uh, and I've seen like the ones with the little ball bearings in them that are expensive. I, I, I'm sorry to me. The, the the bulb and the fuel line is made to move fuel. It's cheap. Like a 25-foot roll of this shit's like 15 bucks, and a bulb's like $7. You can make a lot of them with a few bulbs and 25-foot of tubing. Um, and it used to be cheaper. And right now, at the I've checked today, the price is a little higher than it, it normally has been. But don't go hot fueling down the highway just for shits and giggles. Just know that if you really, really had to, if you're willing to take the risk, you could. Last, I just want to say, if you're at all worried about the Delta variant, and I know most of y'all aren't, don't. Don't let yourself start to be worried about the Delta variant. Just don't. The Delta variant is just covid It's more transmissible. So you say, maybe it is. It's now the dominant strain. So it's what's going around right now. It's still COVID. And for 99% of people, it's not a big deal. And if you are in a highly at-risk group of COVID, you know you are. And you should be taking precautions anyway. And, and I'm going to tell you flat out, we are at a point right now where every single upper, upper respiratory infection or lower respiratory infection of anybody that ends up in a hospital is being called COVID. They will test and they will test and they will test until they get a positive result. And I'm going to tell you, I have confirmed that to be true with more than one practicing medical professional who actually defends that position. I had somebody sit on my back porch who worked in a COVID ward of a hospital as an ICU nurse who told me, when we look at it, we've been doing this long enough, we know what we're seeing, and we will test it until we get a positive result, meaning they will keep running the test until they get a positive. Where they're already running more cycles of that PCR test than the guy that made it said, he, the guy that invented it, who's dead now, coincidentally, said it wasn't never meant to be used that way. That if you run enough cycles with a PCR test, you can get a positive for anything. I've heard, but I have not confirmed yet, that the, the, the one that they're using, the primary PCR test they're using, was never approved. It, like the vaccine, was under an emergency authorization order, and that it's failed now, and it's going to be, it's, 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 uh, EA, uh, EAO is going to be revoked. Now, I have, I've, I've, I've seen it written. I haven't been able to confirm it with a trusted source yet that this is true. 
The, the type of website publishing that data is not one that I will trust as a standalone, and I didn't have time to dig deeper into that. But that would be really interesting as well. But the big thing is the fear porn is coming back. When I turned the TV on, I saw the fear porn. They have all this B-roll that they're showing of people in hazmat suits and like full-up ER. This is not what's going on. This is footage from a year and a half ago, and it's just as much bullshit today as it was then. I challenge you, go look up pictures of COVID in Wuhan, China, and find the articles and the videos that were being circulated in February and March of 2020. Look at them now. And the only thing that a rational person can think is, it's fake and we were had. These people like falling over the street. And I told you then, and a lot of you got really freaking mad at me when I said it. You don't know. I listened to Chris Morrison. He says the worst pneumonia ever. And I said, and he's wrong. Because you're judging the people that are hit the hardest as though they're the norm. And I said in the beginning of this thing, it always, all these types of viruses always look worse than they are at first because they always hit the people most susceptible to them first. And you only see that. The country has had tens of millions of undiagnosed cases, if it's anywhere near as, as, as transmissible as they claim. The, the vaccine that supposedly works has been given to like f almost half of all Americans have had at least one shot. It's like 47% or something. It clearly doesn't seem like it works the way they say it does. It doesn't seem as effective as they claim. We're getting more and more numbers out on that. We're getting more and more studies coming out on how masks don't work. All I'm going to tell you is if you're still living in a state that cracked down before, they're about to do it again. They're about to do it again. Whatever they did before, they're about to do almost as much again. They won't go as far as they did the first time because they know people won't tolerate it. But they know whatever you tolerated, if they go 80% back, that's what you're fixing to get. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Because... They're going to destroy what's left of your economy. They're going to destroy what's left of the values of your home. It's coming. It's evident. There is an agenda here. I'm not worried about the Delta variant. I am worried very much about the messaging around it and the agenda behind it. And please stop inhaling opium, people. Anthony Fauci belongs in a prison cell. He's not going. It's not going to happen. I don't care. When the Republicans take the House back in, in, in uh, the midterms, and they will, heavily, and they'll probably take the Senate back too, it's going to be a little harder because of the way that the seats that are up uh, pale out, but they'll probably take Congress back solidly. Anthony Fauci's not going to go to jail. All the things that they promise you are never going to happen. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't deal in misinformation. I don't deal in lies. I don't deal in hopium. I'm not your hopium dealer. As individuals, we're winning. More and more people are realizing every day that they're being controlled and they've decided they don't want to be controlled anymore. But when it comes to the mass of the sheep, we'll never save them. Please don't think that we will. And please don't think this is ever going to be made right. That is a, is a childish thought. And as the Bible says, when you, when you grow into a man, it is time to put away childish things. Stop speaking as a child, thinking as a child, and acting as a child. Speak, act, and be as a man or a woman. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you guys, you can always help support this show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And uh, 
I always have great items set up there for you that you can check out that I've reviewed. If you see an item on T-SPAS, I own it, I bought it, I spent my money on it, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't. Today's item of the day are the General Hydroponics Rapid Rooter Grow Plugs uh, for your hydroponic systems and for starting plants. I'm bringing this around for a couple of reasons today. It's hot as hell out. I know I don't want to be anywhere near outside right now. This is my least favorite time of year, like July, August, first half of September. I hate it. I want to leave here during that time of year. I really, really hate it. And so it's very hard to understand that fall gardening season is right around the corner. Uh, and some of you a little further north than me, it's even closer. And you need to be thinking the same way you do with putting out your spring planting about four to six weeks back. So even if you don't need to be starting them now, if you're not ready to do so, getting your starts in, and these are a great way to do that with hydroponics. Um, and I have all kinds of stuff in the write-up about how to do it. The other side is some of you just don't grow your, your, your vegetables and your herbs and your salad greens and stuff like that outside in the winter. It's just too cold where you are. And so it's time to start thinking about getting things set up for that winter grow out. And I just want to let you guys know something. Sometimes people tell me that the rapid rooter plugs are kind of expensive. What I've learned with them is they're the easy go-to. They, they work way better without worrying about perfectly balancing the pH of your water and all that stuff than Rockwool does. Uh, they're less of an environmental problem, in my opinion, than Rockwool. Um, but they're also reusable. You can do all types of ways to, to, to deal with this, but what I do with mine, I just throw them all up on top of one of my ebb and flow beds that has worms in it, and within about two weeks, they clean all the roots off. I've also just thrown them like right next, not in, but right next to my compost, like in a, uh, one of the, what it, the masonry tubs that I use for the ducks to take a bath in. And the, the chickens just kind of pick all of the, they don't eat them. It's not like they tear them up. They pull like all the roots off of them and you just, re, you know, reuse them. If you're worried about cleanliness or whatever, soak them in half peroxide and half water for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, squeeze them out and let them, let them dry till they're like half dry because you want them moist when you use them and just use them again. And so if you're getting four or five, and I've gotten five uses out of them at times, it, it doesn't matter that, that what they cost what they do. And I'm not even really sure what the full life expectancy is. I've never really tracked it heavily, but I know it's good four or five. Anyway, check them out today. And then I had another item I put up today. This is not an item of the day. I'm not personally endorsing this. I just noticed it uh, on the deal of the day. There's a Toshiba 32-inch flat-screen smart TV. It's a 720p, so it's not super. It's not like 4K or something like that. Um, but for a 32-inch screen, 720 is fine. Um, it's on sale for 140 bucks, and it is a smart TV with native apps and, and what have you. So you can run Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, all that stuff, whatever it is that you use. Uh, it does have Alexa on it. I'm not versed in this. This is not my world. I don't spend much time with the TV set. I'm putting this out for people that use TVs more than I do, probably. Um, since it's an app, my instinct would be it could be uninstalled or at least shut off. Because I know some people are worried Alexa's listening or whatever. Um, I just, I wouldn't, you know, I. it's up to you. Uh, so I've already had a couple idiots tell me how stupid I am for recommending some of the Lex on it. Don't buy it if you don't. That's why I said it was there. But at 140 bucks for a 32-inch screen, to me, there's a lot of people that could use this as a really big monitor for a computer. Uh, there's also a lot of people this would make a really good, like, in a game room or something like that. It's, you know, with as cheap as TVs have gotten, you probably have a bigger screen for your main family TV or whatever than this. But, you know, for a pool room, you want to throw sports on or something or what have you, it just seems like it might be really 
a hell of a deal for that price. And Toshiba is not, you know, a junk item. It ha it has a good rating on FakeSpot, and it's got like 4.7 stars. So at that price, I just think it's it's probably pretty good. And I want to let you know about it. And you'd know about all this stuff if you follow me on Telegram. Even if you just got on the, 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 the channel where I just let people know what's going on and you don't have to listen to anybody else or any of my other social media, you can learn about that by going to the site and going to Get Social, uh, the Get Social tab. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up with our song of the day. Um, I'm once again calling an audible. I'm going off John Adams' script. I decided to go out and look and see, were any musicians actually standing up against these COVID lockdowns and this COVID stupidity? And turns out, Two really, some of my favorite older musicians got together to do a song called Stand and Deliver. It was written by Van Morrison, performed by Eric Clapton, and I think it features Van Morrison playing guitar uh, in, in this song. Uh, this is a very bluesy song. It doesn't sound angry like the Aaron Lewis one I played for you last week or anything like that. Um, it is, to me, a great song. And I was interested how were the liberals reacting to this one because it's interesting they get triggered by music and this has triggered a lot of people and the one I'm going to play for you on Thursday by Van Morrison has triggered a lot of people too uh, and it's much older than I would have thought it was because nobody wants to talk about it because they're triggered um, but I actually it was interesting to me as I, as I did more research on you know how triggered are they There's quite a few people making, uh, basically acting as apologists here for Clapton and say this isn't any lockdown at all This isn't anti-government. This is just trying to save live music. Um, I think what it is, again, you're back to the fact that these people live in a fantasy land. And they can't believe that an Eric Clapton's not on their side. Maybe you should read about what happened to him when he got the vaccine. I'm not going to tell you. You can go look it up for yourself. And maybe you'd understand why he's not on your side. But I want you to listen to the words of this song. And I want, to wrap, I want you to wrap your brain around the person who claims this song is not anti-lockdown. It's not anti-government. I just want you to... They really said that. Just listen, and you take from it what you will, and I'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Job playing the blues 
for my friend Magna Carta Bill of Rights The Constitution, what's it worth? You know they're gonna grind us down uh, Until it really hurts Is this a sovereign nation? Or just a police state? You better look out, people, before it gets too late. Say that maybe nothing you can do. 